Welcome to the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and I'm joined by a very special guest today. Uh, perhaps the hardest, I, you know, I'm not going to say perhaps. I believe he is the hardest working man on the Sixers beat. Uh, and that is from Sixers Wire, Kai Carlin, who now is, you're, you're running the show now over there, too. I mean, it's. You got a lot on your plate, man. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot on my plate right now in terms of the Sixers wire, and then I got to help out Nets wire, and then I'm helping out Celtics wire at the moment, and then uh, I got to, I, I actually got to do something for Thunder wire later. So uh, like, like the, there's just a lot I have to do, a lot on my plate right now. Love it though. You're like I said, I, I think that's a fair moniker, man. The hardest working guy on the beat. You're, you, you, no, you know, people could say a lot of things about you. They can insult <laughs> your basketball game a little bit. <laughs> They can insult your candy takes and some of your other takes, but no one can take away from the fact that you work very hard, my friend. And I think you have a lot of respect from everyone around the beat for that fact. Um, but yeah, you're here today because we want to talk about Philadelphia 76ers basketball and some hot topics. Uh, one of the things we're definitely going to touch on is, is James Harden and Doc Rivers and the comments that were made last week. I know you were there in Detroit, your old stomping ground. So I definitely want to touch on that and, we're going to also, you know, a little bit about the team in general, Tobias Harris and kind of the adjustments he's made, Tyrese Maxey and the way he's played. And then, of course, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Joel and uh, Joel Embiid and his candidacy for the league's MVP award. But I want to touch first, Kai, I know we're, we're going back a little ways because it happened last week, but the Sixers are in Detroit. They lose a tough game. I think you and I can both agree it was more of a aberration game than an indictment on the team it was just the lackluster performance really low energy just didn't really show up um which you know it happens in an 82 game season not an ideal time after they lost two straight but post game doc rivers makes a comment that me sitting at home in south jersey i felt it was pretty innocuous but it suddenly blew up and everyone made a big deal about it where some people took it as doc rivers blaming James Harden for the bench struggling. I took it as James Harden was taking the bulk of the shots. So there weren't as many shots for the bench players because James Harden was leading the show. Um, that's the way I took it. You were actually there. So I want to ask you as someone who was on there, who travels an awful lot and is at an awful lot of these press conferences. Here's doc rivers talking awful lot. Um, when you heard that comment, how did you take it there in Detroit? I took it kind of the same way. Um, obviously, the bench got outplayed in the, in the loss to Detroit. I think they were outscored 39 to 8 by Detroit's bench, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I asked Doc after the game, I was like, hey, can you just explain the Doc, the, the bench struggles? Doc said, well, they didn't really struggle. They didn't get a lot of shots. And it makes sense. I mean, when you have James Harden out there with four bench players, who do you want taking the shots? James Harden. So uh, that that's definitely how I took it. That's how I feel like everybody else in the room kind of took it. Um, it was weird because I remember like um the next day I'm watching ESPN first take and they were like, oh, Doc Rivers blamed James Harden. And I'm like, no, 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 that, that that's not the case. Like, what are you guys doing? Stop, stop. Um, I hate that. It does happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of one thing if like maybe like a little um like maybe a tiny blog, like kind of took it the wrong way. But it's it's another thing where it's like it's ESPN, like kind of turning into a Doc Rivers blaming Harden thing and. I thought it was strange. I thought it was weird. And uh, yeah, he wasn't blaming James for the bench of struggles. He's explaining that James is going to take the shots with that lineup. Right. And it, it, we see that's happened so often where we're all sitting in the press room and a, a quote comes out and 
because Twitter is only 160 categories and because sometimes this stuff gets lost in translation, we'll see, I'll see a quote blow up and we'll kind of look at each other like, what the hell? Like, this wasn't even a big deal. And um, it's just the world we live in, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's so reactionary and with social media, but that's why it's super important that people are there asking questions and getting the response and are able to add that context. It's super important. I saw uh, Gina from the Inquirer immediately kind of said, like, this is not what we all saw everyone in that room. Um, and I retweeted that because I think it's super important that the people that are there, like that's the people that can ter- interpret it best. Um, and so, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on and letting us, letting the fans know, letting everyone know like, Hey, this was not that big of a deal. We did not perceive it that way at the time. And, and you know, it, it's just something that wasn't even, I, I wouldn't even call it a throwaway comment. Cause I think it was just, uh, one sentence out of a whole quote, quote that was just taken way out of context and taken really poorly out of context. But I also want to talk about Harden in general because you know with that Detroit game was one of the games recently where he really did struggle. Um, you know, from the field, the last two games he's been good from a playmaking standpoint over the last few games. Uh, perhaps not so much from the field. And to me, the one thing that is the biggest concern is when teams, you know, when they run that pick and roll with Joel Embiid, it, it was immediately, it was the, the teams were trapping and then kind of, he was hitting Embiid on a short roll and then it was going from there. Now teams are just switching it and they're putting a big on James Harden. And my biggest concern is that consistently he has not been able to take that big off the dribble and either find his shot at the rim or find a shooter in the corner or what have you. He just hasn't done it consistently enough. Um, so I guess my question to you is, do you think, it's still that hamstring that he's still just not quite there yet. Um, do you think that maybe it, it's that he's got another gear that he's sort of saving for the postseason, or do you think maybe it's a little bit of both that he knows, like he kind of knows when he can push it and when he can't, and he's just kind of finding that balance for himself um, and just making sure that he delivers himself to the postseason. Uh, honestly, I feel like he's definitely got another level for the playoffs. It kind of reminds me of the Jimmy Butler era when Jimmy was here and, um, how Jimmy was like, so I I don't want to say passive, but like, he wasn't looking for a shot as much in the regular season. Um, but then obviously we saw Jimmy kind of take that next level in the playoffs and and how important he was in the postseason. I feel like it's going to kind of be the same thing here with James. I guess the only thing that like really concerns me, Paul, is the fact that James does have a history of like putting up some clunkers in the playoffs. And I feel like, you know, obviously you, when you look at his raw playoff numbers, they've been great. But there are just certain games here and there. Like, um, you know, we all remember game six against the Spurs in 2017 when he shot like two for 11. Um, and then even in the conference finals against Golden State. Yeah, and I know Chris Paul's injury was a huge, huge factor in that series. But I think Harden shot like five for 21 in their game five win uh, over the Warriors. So like the, there's just, there, there are a couple of different games with James here and there, man, where it's just like, dude, like, like, where are you? Um, so I feel like that would kind of be the one concern if I was a Sixers fan going into the playoffs. Like, obviously, Harden is a Hall of Famer. Obviously, he's a guy who is very capable of going for 40 at any at any moment. Same with Joel. Um, but I'm, I would be very concerned with the whole random playoff clunker. Like, let's just say it's a you know, game six and round two, let's play hypotheticals. He would play Miami round two, hypothetically, and it's game six and you have a chance to force a game seven and, and Harden just decides to go two for 11 or something like that. And then you're putting all the pressure on Joel. I feel like that would be my kind of my main concern. But 
honestly, I'm not really too worried about Harden not being able to, I guess, have the, that big offensive game here in the regular season. I feel like he's going to be able to do something in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a really good comparison, actually, because I do remember that with Jimmy. And it wasn't even just the playoffs. I remember, like, Jimmy would, like, there were games where he would say, like, all right, Joel, like, carry us through three quarters and I'll close it out. Like, so that's I, that's a really good way of looking at it. Because and, and certainly when the playoffs came um, and in that Toronto series, most notably, Jimmy really took the offense over and um, was really their main source of offense because Joel did not, you know, was not healthy throughout most of that series and didn't play particularly well uh, on the offensive end. We all know about the defensive impact and the plus minus of when he was off the floor and all that. We won't even right. get into that on this podcast because we already know. Um, but yeah, I, I I will say I think you're right that it's a fair concern that James Harden in the playoffs is very up and down, uh, and, and he's had his games where he hasn't been that James Harden. Um, I would say if you're a Sixers fan, I guess the hope is he's not the focal point because I, I I'm trying to think because you're right, like you know um, he's had other guys, he's had a Chris Paul with him, he's had other players with him, but even when he had Chris Paul, he was still the guy, right? Like he was still the guy who they counted on to score. Um, big points and the kind of carry the offense. And now that's not the case, right? I mean, Joel's carrying the offense, uh, but you're right that there, there are going to be certain games where James is going to have to carry the load a little bit where there, where either Joel's going to struggle or they're really going to swarm Joel to the extent where someone else has to beat them. And James might have to be that guy on certain nights. So I think that's certainly a fair concern, but um, one of the concerns that's been a, kind of mitigated over the last couple of weeks you know, when James first got here, Tobias Harris really struggled. He, he seemed like he just really couldn't find his place. He really struggled to find his role over the last couple of weeks. though, he's been really, really good. And I, you know, one of the big things is that mentality where he's just firing away. And I think that's something that James has drilled into his head since they've been together. Something that doc has really drilled into him is when you are open, when James gets you the ball, you can't think you have to shoot. Um, and if someone closes out, you have to make a quick decision to attack that close out and get to the basket. You can't, um, so, you know, you can't be deliberate with your actions. And I think that message has really been received and he's adapted really well. So what do you think? Um, is it, is it as simple as he just has, it's just mentally, he just has decided to, to, to make quicker decisions and it's, and it's poured over onto the court. Or do you think there's something else there? For me, it, it, it's like when Harden got here and he didn't have to handle the ball as much. Like that's when I feel like that's when Tobias kind of realized that he has to be able to shoot the ball. And I know in the beginning of the Harden era, he wasn't uh, doing that. Like he kind of struggled a little bit, but you kind of, it kind of reminds me of last year when Ben was here and Ben was on the floor and Tobias had like the best year of his career. He shot close to 40% from deep last year. And I feel like it's because Ben was able to kind of spot him up. Um, it was the same thing with, with uh, what you just mentioned, how Doc was drilling into his head, like, dude, just catch and shoot. Um, I feel like it's kind of the same thing here now. Uh, I mean, Tyrese Maxey's obviously taken like so many steps forward as a player. Like in my opinion, he should be at least be considered the most improved player. Um, like Maxey's been great, but Tyrese is not a guy who's going to, um, I guess really handle the ball as much as maybe a guy like Simmons did and maybe get a guy organized and get a guy in the corner and things like that with James, you, you can see, I think there was a game, even a moment in the, uh, the Indiana game where James was just kind of telling guys like, yo, you go this corner, you go this corner, and we're going to run the offense this way. And it obviously it ended with Philadelphia hitting 23 three-pointers, and Tobias made five of them. And I think Tobias was shooting 44% from deep over the last 15 games. 
So you, like you can just see it. Tobias is beginning to understand that. And I feel like Harden's presence on the floor, being able to make plays for others is a really big help for him because Tobias doesn't have to handle the ball as much as he did earlier in the year. It's another really good point you make in comparing it to last year with Ben too, because I, I've always felt like, and I think the numbers even bear it out that, that Tobias has played better with Ben than without him. Um, he just really complimented Ben really well, especially in transition. And I think recently James has been kind of pushing the ball ahead more, trying to find guys. And I think that's led to a couple of those quick trigger threes that Tobias um, has hit those kind of like above the break ones that have, um, you know, they've had a lot of success with. And yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to look at it. It clearly James Harden and Ben Simmons are not the same player, but the fact that right. they both are just elite playmakers um, and the way they get guys set up and the way they set people up um, Tobias probably had to like readjust his game back to that. Cause you're right. Cause Tyrese Maxey's not that guy. Tyrese Maxey, um, it has certainly grew uh, during that time when he was playing the point guard, but that's not what his thing is. He's a score first guy. We've seen that. And he's it's, we've seen that with Harden here that he's played better as with that score first mentality. Uh, and just speaking of Tyrese, he is having like, this is an historical improvement, um, especially from just, just from shooting alone. Um, when you look at, I think I saw a, a stat today that guys 21 or younger, like highest, three-point percentage for a season for guys who qualify. Steph Curry's the only one higher ever. Like, that's bonkers. Um, and then I think he's right now, he's fifth in the NBA among qualified players ahead of Seth Curry. Um, so I guess just how do, like, I, I'm not going to ask you if you're surprised by it because I think we, like, all of us are surprised it's to this degree. None of us, I think, are surprised that he improved because you just saw his character, the way he carries himself, how much he works you knew he was going to improve, but maybe not. No one thought to this degree. Um, come playoff time, like where do you think he fits? Do you think the shooting continues? Um, I mean, I guess it's hard to doubt that it does because he's carried it through 70 plus games so far this season. But I guess just come postseason time, what are you expecting out of Tyrese? Uh, I don't know. I would say I would kind of keep my expectations, I guess, cautiously optimistic just because, and, and I know he performed well in the playoffs last year, but uh, he's still 21. And I do kind of feel like there, there are still moments here and there and you, and you kind of see it in certain games. I think it was in the last Toronto game um, when Tyrese kind of struggled a little bit with pressure and, and just everything else the Raptors kind of threw at him, but then he bounced back and he was amazing against Miami the, the next night. So I would just be a little uh, cautious with it a little bit because he is still a young player. Like he, he was able to have some moments in the playoffs as a rookie. He was huge in game six against Atlanta. Um, and then I, I don't know, for some reason he didn't play in game seven, but um, like, like, like for me, like, I feel like at some point, you, you know, we do have to kind of sit back and be like, Oh damn, you know, this kid is 21. So he might maybe have a, a playoff, clunker here and there because he's still kind of like maybe learning and maybe experiencing it um, and growing as a player, but um, he's still going to be like an, an incredibly important piece to whatever the Sixers do in this postseason run. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
and Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Kai, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be right back. We're going to talk more about Joel Embiid's MVP candidacy, perhaps touch on the backup center situation because that's so much fun. Uh, <laughs> but we got to pause for a break. We'll be right back with more with Kai Carlin from Sixers Wire. All right, and we are back with Kai Carlin from Sixers Wire. Kai, I really don't even want to ask you about it because I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of people tweeting me about it. I'm tired of tweeting about it. I'm tired of watching it. Um but Doc Rivers, it, it's like any Sixers fan who thinks anything's going to change with three games left, like it's not. DeAndre Jordan is your backup center. Um, that's the reality of the situation. Perhaps if a team does go small, maybe he'll Doc will go with Paul Millsap, which I'm sure fans aren't as thrilled about that either. I just just because you and I really haven't spoken about it, and, and I'm just curious your take. Like, would you have liked to have seen? Uh, and I get, I, I get the Paul Reed, like the idea that perhaps, you know, he, he kind of like we talked about with Maxi before the break, like he is, he is young. Um, unlike Maxi, he does have a tendency to kind of go a little bit outside of his, I don't even know how to put it. Like just, he just kind of doesn't stick to his role sometimes and maybe tries to do a little too much. Um, that causes him to make mistakes. We've seen that with Paul Reed in the past. Bassey, you haven't seen as much of that with him, but he also has less NBA experience, even less G League experience, but um, clearly has probably outplayed the G League, probably shouldn't be playing there. He's probably too good for that league. Um, yeah. So would you have liked to have seen before Doc Rivers just decided to hand DeAndre Jordan the job? Would you have liked to at least seen one of those guys, Paul Reed or Charles Bassey, get a look? And if so, is there a guy you would have favored? Uh, I would have favored Bassey. Um, I'm not, I'm not the biggest B-ball Paul guy. Uh, I, like I, I think Paul Reed has like a, a high motor, um, and he's athletic as hell, but you just mentioned it. He kind of goes outside the realm of what, what he can really do out, out on the floor. Like if Paul Reed played his role and did what he can do on a nightly basis. And yeah, maybe Paul Reed would probably play more, but, um, you see, you can see it with him. Uh, with me, I, I love Bassey. I think the kid has really impressed as a shot blocker. I think he's impressed as a defender. I think we all remember what he did against Nikola Jokic um, in the first win over Denver. This was back in November when uh, Joel had COVID. And Bassey did a hell of a job against Jokic in the second half of that game. Sixers were able to get a win uh, over the Nuggets. But, um, yeah, like before Doc chose DeAndre, I probably would have preferred them to give Charles a look. Uh, I know that he was a foul machine, so may maybe that kind of contributed to it. But if, if there was one of those younger guys, I definitely would have given Bassey the look. That, that's just that, that's just uh, my opinion on that one. I'm with you. And it's weird to me because 
I don't want to say weird, I, but a little weird to me because I remember, and you'll remember this too, and you mentioned those games um, where he looked really good. You know, in, in Denver, they got crushed in Utah, but even in that game, I thought he looked pretty decent. Um, yeah. A few possessions against Gobert. I recall Doc saying like that he was impressed with with Charles Bassey and that, you know, he, he was, uh, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised by the fact that he knew where he was supposed to be on the defensive end of the floor and he had really good instincts and that his assistants were telling him, yeah, this guy's ready to play. This guy's ready to play NBA minutes. And it seems like at that point, too, even if you recall that he preferred Bassey over Paul Reed at that point, it, it seemed like yeah. that was the guy he was going to more um, when Joel was out with COVID. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm a little surprised. I think, too, when you look at like the skill set of a Bassey, like it, there's some kind of Clint Capella stuff there. And yeah. that's a guy that James Harden clearly had a ton of success with in Houston. So why you wouldn't just at least just give it a look? I'm a little surprised. I don't want to blame Doc entire. Don't get me wrong. You, you have to hold Doc accountable for it. But I'm curious and I don't and we might never know the answer. I'm curious how much James pushed for him because they, clearly they played together in Brooklyn and, and James and, and DeAndre have a relationship. I don't know that he did push for him or not. This is just me just putting a thought out there, um, right. but I am curious. And if that's the case, if you're, if you're Daryl Morey and you're doc rivers, like, do you really want to fight James Harden on that? And the answer is probably no, you, you probably don't. So, and I, but, and also I could see James Harden saying like, yeah, like I, I, I would prefer to play with a veteran center over a rookie. Fair enough. Um, but at the same time, I'm with you that uh, I would have liked to see one of those guys get get some time. And I think Bassey would have been the better choice. I think Bassey was the guy who was maybe more ready, even though Paul Reed did have, you know, one extra year of NBA experience. But I thought Bassey seemed like the more NBA ready player for this moment. Speaking of centers, the good news is that whoever is the backup center and it looks like it's going to be DeAndre Jordan is only going to have to play like 10 minutes a night come play right. all the time uh, because the Sixers have a guy named Joel Embiid who might win the league MVP because he's been that great this year. It seems pretty clear that it's coming down to Joel Embiid right now. I believe Jokic is the betting favorite, which fair enough. Okay. He, the guy won it last year. The guy's still having a great year and even better year than he had last year when he won the award. Um, and then Giannis is also, you know, crept into the conversation because um, he's really turned it up the last few weeks here. And uh, Milwaukee as a team has really turned it up and they played very good basketball. So, I guess I'll just bluntly ask you, like, it, to you, is Joel Embiid the MVP of the league, or, or would you go with someone else? For me, I feel like it has to be Joel, right? Like, um, especially everything that got thrown at the Sixers this year, the Ben, the Ben thing, kind of, it, 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 like, it was like a dark cloud over this franchise. Like, no matter what the Sixers did, it, it was a, hey, you got a Ben update for us, Doc? Hey, you got to, you got to, uh, is Ben gonna? come back at any point, Doc, have you talked to Ben, Doc? So, um, hey, Joe, have you talked to Ben? So, it, like, no matter what the Sixers did, it was always Ben Simmons this, Ben Simmons that, grievance this. Um, you, you know, like, like there's always, like, there was always some type of Ben thing. And, yeah, Joel was like, okay, screw this. I'm going to throw the team on my back, and we are going to still win basketball games, and we're going to be competitive. Um, and then also when you factor in the injuries this team had earlier in the year, uh, the COVID issues too. Like, I think they missed like their entire starting five for like a week or something like that. I think the only guy that had was Seth Curry. So I look at, I look at the Sixers and I look at Joel's MVP candidacy and, and I just bring up their early portion of the year because the fact that they were the number three seed going into the all-star break 
was impressive as hell considering, you know, the Ben Simmons stuff. Um, and then even in this second half of the year after the all-star break with James Harden, Joel hasn't slowed down, you know, like, like, like it's not like Joel has, you know, chilled out or anything. Joel's actually even gotten better in my opinion. Now you can see it. He's learning how to play with James and he's becoming a better roller off, off screens and everything else in between. So um, yeah, in my opinion, it's gotta be Joel. Uh, like the, like he's going to be the first big man lead league in scoring since Shaq, you know, 22 years ago. Right. And that's just wild to me. Alex. So, so not only that, I believe I saw um, that he will be the first international born player to ever win the scoring title, which is crazy. The, the first center, since the merger to average over 30 points a game, like it's just wild. And then I, I'm glad you brought up that context of the Ben Simmons situation. And maybe you and I, and, and some others that cover this team, that's the reason why we're all a little bit more. I don't want to, I guess you have to say bias, but we're a little biased towards you all just because we all saw what was going on there um, and how much of a mess that was and how Joel just kept kind of saying like, all right, like we're, we're moving, like we're, we're going to play and we're going to win basketball games. And they did. I mean, the fact that they won, like you said, they were the three C going into the all-star break um, and they were a mess, it, like not a mess, but like just that's what is that they weren't a mess is what's impressive, right? Because they had every excuse to be a mess. I mean, you look at right. like other teams that have all this drama and like, I, I know people like to bring up in making Jokic's case, you know, and it's fair. Like he did, hasn't had Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. All season. Fair points. Joel Embiid was supposed to have Ben Simmons. Didn't have Ben Simmons all year long. Like you said, guys in and out of the lineup. Um, he's gotten pretty lucky that Tyrese Maxey has taken this leap because that wasn't a guarantee. Um, right. and quite frankly, like Tobias Harris, the first half of the year, he 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 struggled a little bit. He did not have the, the he was not the player he was the previous year. Um, and so for all of that to be going on, and even like a guy like Danny Green, who was so good for them last year, he really was not healthy and struggled for the first half of the season. So all of these things going on and the fact that Joe was playing at such a high level, an improved level from what he did last year. Um, and the fact that they were still, you know, right in the mix as one of the top teams in the league. And I think it's an excellent point you bring up with James as well, because Sure, James Harden has made his life easier in a lot of ways, but he has had to adjust. He has had to change his game up to play alongside James Harden, and he's done that, and he's done that at a, such a great level that he recently put up 240 and 10 games back-to-back. -back. Right. Um, and that's another great stat is uh, I think it's him, Moses Malone, and, and Russ are the only guys that have done 40 and 10 12 times in a single season, and Moses and Russ both won the MVP that year. So yeah. it's just all those factors. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think he. I think he should win it. I don't know that he will win it. Uh, when you see Vegas and the odds are in Jokic's favor, it doesn't seem great. But um, hey, he's still got three games. Maybe something can. Maybe he puts up like 60 against the Raptors or something, um, and that could turn things around. But um, Kai, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, for those of you who don't know Kai Carlin, please go ahead and follow him. The hardest working guy on the Sixers beat uh, on the Sixers beat for Sixers Wire. Um, and I want to thank all of you guys so much for coming and checking out the Coming In for Atlantic podcast uh, on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can rate, subscribe, download wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and I will talk to you guys next time.